I'd like us to take our Bibles and open them to our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ. For those of you who may be guests with us, you are coming in on the end of this study. We have spent several months walking our way through this great study, and we are coming to the close. We have this morning uh, time together in Revelation chapter 22, and then we'll have one more message from this great book. And I I want to thank you for your patience as we have waded our way through these, these wonderful truths. I, I do hope that none of us will be all that happy that we are finished with this book. Um, it has been such a great time for us to go through this. I, I mentioned to someone uh, a few weeks back that I, I really feel like I, I, I need to go back to the beginning and just start it all over again. And and uh, when I said that, they sighed. So we're not going to do that, at least not this month. Um, maybe sometime in the far future we will again. But we are here this morning. And uh, if you're not in that text, we're in Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to focus our attention in on verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17. And I want to begin this morning by reading these verses to us. Beginning in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. We begin our time this morning with those familiar words that we have already heard in our text. These are the words that must, in fact, be etched within our minds, deep within our very hearts themselves. These are the words that bring joy to the heart of everyone who knows Jesus Christ by faith. And these very words evoke a paralyzing fear on those who are unsaved. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am. I am the, the great uh, phrase in the Greek text here without the uh, first preposition in front of that or the personal pronoun here, it's all included just in the word me, the word I am, the self-existent one, the very one that Exodus chapter 3 spoke with Moses when he said, who should I tell them sends me? And God Himself, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, says even to Moses, tell them, I am sent you. In fact, for a moment, go back to 
John chapter 8. Jesus Christ speaking, speaking with his disciples around him and, of course, those who were always challenging him, the Pharisees. Just prior to this, he had told the adulterous woman, go and sin no more, as the Pharisees had brought her out to stone her. And beginning in John 8, verse 21, he says, therefore, again to them, I go away and you will seek me and shall die in your sin Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore, the Jews were saying, surely he is, he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins unless you believe that I am. The very same words, the very reality of Exodus chapter 3 standing right there before them. He says, if you do not believe that I am, that the the great self-existent one is right here, you shall die in your sins. So this then is the reality to which all the events of the book of Revelation have been moving toward. The coming of Jesus Christ. The coming of the great I Am. The coming of the kingdom of our Lord and of our Savior. The coming of the new heaven and the new earth. And when we heard this in our, in our previous study last Lord's Day as we, we saw it there in verse 7, Jesus Christ, was emphasizing the responsibility of all men to respond rightly to everything that we have heard. In verse 7, remember, Behold, I am coming quickly. And beginning in verse 6, just prior to verse 7, through verse 11, we we unfolded four uh, responses or a four fourfold response really to the reality to the of the human responsibility in light of the prophecy of the book of revelation and really further so the prophecy of the entire scriptures we learn that we should first of all not doubt do not doubt this prophecy verse 6 he said these words are faithful and true The Lord God, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. So because these words are the words of God himself, as all scriptures are God breathed, as Paul said to Timothy, then by the very nature of God himself, that makes these words faithful and true. These words are faithful and true, not because John wrote them down, not because John saw them, but because they are from God himself. Therefore, to doubt any part of these words is to doubt God. To doubt God is to reject God. To doubt God is to reject the word of God. To reject the word of God is to reject God. One man said it this way. I was reading this week. He said, to conditionally accept Jesus to conditionally accept Jesus is to completely reject Jesus 
In other words, to not fully embrace Jesus Christ for who He is and all that He is, being God, the incarnate God, the great I Am, to conditionally accept Jesus and take part of Him, but not all of Him, is in essence to completely reject Jesus. So this prophecy is not to be doubted. Secondly, the prophecy is to be guarded. We learned this last week. Verse 7 pronounces a blessing upon those that heed the words of this prophecy. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this book. To heed, as we learn, means to keep it, to, to obey it, to live one's life according to what is here. To all that it talks about, to all that it says, blessing comes from God to those whose lives are orchestrated according to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And of course, that does not mean that these are somehow magic words, that if somehow you muster up enough energy to be able to accomplish certain things that they carry out by way of life activity, that they in some magical way will fix your life. That isn't the case, no, rather than these are to believe them is to believe upon the Son of God. To believe the words of this prophecy is to believe all that God has said concerning His Son. So those who know God through faith in Christ are truly blessed. They are truly happy people, that's Really, the essence of the word blessed there, blessed in every way, not just this happy-go-lucky kind of life, but blessed in the whole sphere of life because of who they are uh, linked with, Jesus Christ. They have believed these words and they now live according to these words. And then thirdly, we saw the responsibility was to worship God because of this prophecy. Worship God because of this prophecy. Verses 8 and 9. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours, a brother uh, of the prophets and of those who heed these words. Worship God. And so the goal of all that we have heard, all that we have learned, is not some intellectual knowledge of future things. It's not so that we can somehow figure out the Da Vinci Code. There is no Da Vinci Code. There's one solution, Jesus Christ. The goal of all of this is not to gain information so that you and I can have enough knowledge of future things so that we can store up and build bunkers and stash away food sources for the future uh, zombie apocalypse. It isn't even to give praise to those who bring the news to us. That's not the goal. No, the point of this book is to elicit in all men the worship of God who deserves worship alone. So because of this prophecy, we are called to worship God as servants of God. And then finally, we learn that the human responsibility is to tell others about what this prophecy says, verses 10 and 11. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book. In other words, we have an evangelistic responsibility to bring the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to all men. We have that responsibility. What they do with that knowledge, what they do with that will either save them or confirm their condemnation in hell. So all of that we learned from our study of this book as we have walked from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 22. 
And it's to bring about in all of us the exercise of these human responsibilities born out of faith in Jesus Christ. To whom much is given, much is required. But secondly then, for our time this morning, Jesus Christ stresses not the responsibility so much that we have in hearing these words, but the reward that he brings to men at his coming. The reward that he's bringing to men at his coming, and and this too is undergirded by these same words. Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming without delay, and the implication is for all of us, all men, to be ready for that coming. And in this particular case, he is coming with divine reward. Divine reward because it's coming from God himself. This is rewards from God that he will hand out. And notice that these rewards will be handed out on the basis of human activity. Notice he says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. What he has done. Which, by the way, biblically and metaphorically reflects the heart that drives those deeds. So when it says here that I am going to reward every man, I am bringing with me the reward to render to every man according to what he has done, this activity of life, this activity of life is born out of a heart that drives the activity of life. Proverbs says, out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. So what we do is a reflection. I was thinking about this. There is an interesting phenomenon that has taken place in in America over the last several decades that is really astounding to me. Maybe you know about this, you probably do know about this, especially if you have young children who have participated or who are participating in some kind of public activity in which trophies are handed out. Some of you chuckle because you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is an effort on the part of these activities, especially sports, There's an effort to award everyone a winner's trophy. Everybody gets the winner's trophy. It doesn't matter how you played. It doesn't matter how you finished. It doesn't matter how you did. It's just that you get the trophy. It's no longer now a winner's trophy. It's just a participant's trophy. No one wants to suggest, it seems, that anyone is the loser. Why? Because to do so would be to negatively impact their future thoughts of themselves. There's a title for that in our day and age called self-esteem. We certainly don't want to impact someone's view of themselves. Listen, the world of sports might be wrongly concerned with that. But God is not concerned at all with that. In fact, God wants us to see ourselves rightly in comparison to Him and His perfection. So that we might know that we need salvation. So that we might know that we need a Savior. And He is going to come and He is going to reward everyone according to what they have done. According to how they have been in the game. 
In other words, the basis of our reward will have everything to do with only us. It will not be a team effort. It will not be some kind of everybody wins kind of mentality so that nobody gets their feelings hurt kind of process. It won't be that. No, with God it will be a just reward because it will be according to our work. Our ergon, the word is ergon in the original language, our work, our our lifetime of service to God or our lifetime of lack of service to God. Now, the Bible tells us that the only ones who can truly serve God so that God is truly honored and pleased with their service are those who know him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So their service for God can and does please God when it is done from a heart of service to others through Christ. When you and I as believers in Jesus Christ serve one another on the basis that Christ receives all the glory, we're just simply servants of Christ. God is honored by that service. God receives the glory. God is pleased. But that never earns us any merit before God in heaven it simply shows the reality of our heart change we don't earn anything before God in that way or through those things it is only through grace or by grace through faith that anyone can do what pleases God we know that Ephesians 2 clearly says that we have been saved by grace through faith not of works of our own but because of God's grace for good works that we should walk in them So a person is either justified before God by Christ's perfect work or they will stand before God on the basis of their work alone. And those who will stand before God on the basis of their work alone, as we will see, will never please or satisfy God. So the unsaved person can never please God. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God indwelling them. They don't know God by faith. Therefore, the Spirit of God does not indwell them and they do not believe Christ by faith alone and therefore anything that they have done or will do, even if it is religious activity, is always, always, always born out of a desire to please self or a desire to help self. So one lives because they are righteous before God in Christ. The Christian And the other lives in order to try to gain righteousness before God without Christ. And so, right here at the end of Revelation, Jesus is saying, listen, I am coming. I am coming quickly. There is no time to waste. There is is no seconds left. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. There are two outs. You're the batter at the plate. You have two strikes, a full count on you. The pitch has already left the pitcher's hand. In fact, it is in the glove of the catcher. The strike is about to be called. There's no time. Christ is coming quickly. And with him is this divine reward. And the basis on which he will render it is your life. Either your life will be enveloped in the righteousness of Christ by faith or you will be on your own without Christ. I hope we understand the urgency. I hope we sense the reality of the urgency of this appeal that is made. There is no more time. 
Matthew 16 and verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Paul said it another way, Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing are for the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. And again, Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So none of us can hope that our reward from God will be on the basis of some general mercy. God is a God of love. How could, any, how could a God of love ever send anyone to hell? General kind of mercy that everybody's going to be saved. None of us can hope for that kind of reward from God. Everybody isn't going to get a winner's trophy. With God, there has always been the desire of all that they might receive the living word by faith. But the reality is that some reject. For them, the reward will be a devastation forever. You say, why can this happen? Who does Jesus think he is? Verse 13 clearly tells us in no uncertain terms that Christ, who will bring this reward to both the saints and the rejecters, is none other than God himself. Look at verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. There could be no clearer statement or no clearer way for Jesus Christ to declare His deity in all of Scripture. There is no clearer way than to use the phrases that metaphorically demonstrate the absolute eternality of Himself as God. This verse Contains all of that. Notice, I am the existent one, the, the great Amy, the, the, the one who was before all. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Simple phrase. The first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. You say, well, why is that an example of the eternality of God? How, how is that an example of His the great eternality that he is the eternal one because the original people who would have received this book were Gentile people. And most of the Gentiles of that time spoke Greek. And all of the known communication and all of the known understanding came through language that was formed using Greek letters. So any communication and any knowledge was passed on using Uh, The formation of Greek letters to make Greek words and those Greek words have meaning and that meaning carries knowledge. It's the same in our language. We have letters 
We have A to Z in our language and those letters make up words and those words make up sentences and those sentences are put together to make paragraphs and those paragraphs are put together to make entire chapters and from that we read and we gain understanding. In fact, right now you're seeing me formulate words that are made up of letters that are making pictures in your mind and those pictures in your mind are the words that you understand and you're receiving knowledge. Communication, understanding. And so what Jesus is saying metaphorically is that He is before any understanding and He will be after any understanding and He is in fact the essence of all understanding. So to reject Jesus Christ is to reject any real understanding. To reject the Word of God about His Son is to reject the only understanding that you need for all of life and godliness. Then, in another way, he says the same thing, but he uses a different metaphor. You notice, I am the first and the last. In other words, I was before all things and I will be after all things. I am the pre-existent one. I existed before any existence was an existence. I am the essence of all communication and all understanding, and I am the one who was existing before you ever could even imagine what existence was. And if that wasn't enough, he adds a third statement. I am the beginning and the end. He's not just the first, but he is the source and the goal of all things. He is the beginning of beginnings. He is the end of all ends. In other words, everything has begun with and through Christ and everything will be finalized in relation to Christ. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. We might even think of it this way. And we might think of it this way because man tries in various ways to escape the reality of God and his Christ. Man tries to push it away. Man tries to say there is no God. But here Jesus says there is nowhere to escape me. You can try as you might to escape me, but you cannot escape me. I am existence itself. Even when you're sitting by yourself alone in your own little self-absorbed existence and you're trying to say there is no God, the very reality of your existence proves that existence is and I am it. You cannot escape me. I am the full communication and understanding of God. I am the pre-existent one who was before there ever was a was. And I am the source and the goal of all things. You cannot escape me. And I am the one coming to render awards to all men. Isaiah the prophet wanted to warn Israel of these very things. And so in Isaiah 44 and verse 6 he says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, says this, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Very same words that God himself spoke to Moses. I am sent you. Notice, by the way, he continues to identify himself in verse 16. 
Some of you might have been saying, how do we know this is Jesus Christ? Verse 16 clearly tells us that. Not only is this the very message to us of His grace to dispatch His messenger to tell us of these things. I, Jesus, have sent my angel, my angelos, my messenger to to bear witness to the very things which you have written down for the churches. But also notice, I confirm that I am the only Messiah. Notice, I am the root and the offspring of David. The bright morning star. You say, what does he mean by that? I am the root and the offspring of David? Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I am both the ancestor. That's the root. I I am the ancestor of David and I am the descendant or the offspring of David. You say, how could he be that? How can he be both the ancestor and the descendant at, at the same time? Well, as the root of David, he's saying, I'm the source. I'm the source of David's life, and I'm the source of David's line of life. I'm the source of everybody who came through the Davidic line, and whoever will come through the Davidic line, I'm the very root of all of that. I'm the source of it all. But also, he says, as the offspring, I was the son of David's life and family line. I am the rightful king and heir to the very promise. That I made to David about one being on the throne forever. I am the rightful king. I'm the one from whom David came. I'm the creator of all things and through whom all things must come. And I am the one to all things. I am the king of all. That's why he says I am the bright morning star. The bright morning star. That's, that's the brightest star right, star right before morning arrives. He's he's the brightest of the stars. He's the star of the show, if you want to even think of it like that. So right here, right in verse 16, at the very final words of the entire Scriptures as they've been brought together, right here is the clearest statement of the fact that Jesus is the God-man. He is the root of David's family line. He, he was born into this world within the Davidic line. And only the God-man, only Jesus Christ can be both the root and the offspring of David. And only this God-man could be the Messiah. Only Jesus Christ could be the God-man. In fact, just listen to Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 19, Peter says, We have the prophetic word made more sure, by which you do well to pay attention, to a light shining in a dark place until the day star, till the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Who's the morning star? Jesus Christ. Till Jesus Christ rises in your hearts. Pay attention to this prophetic word. Pay attention to what is written in the words of this prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. He is the bright morning star. The day is coming. The morning star is going to rise. And he will meet out his awards. 
Isaiah the prophet warned Israel of this again, said there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse being David's father. There'll be a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. So the basis for this reward is our deeds which reveal our heart, which reveal who we really serve. And the bench or the the judgment throne, if you will, from which these rewards come is Jesus Christ, the self-existent God as judge. And then notice in verse 14, the rewards begin to come. There's a positive and a negative. Not everybody's getting the winner's trophy. There's a positive and a negative. Let's take the positive first just because it comes in our text first. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. And I hope we, we don't miss the reality of the exclusivity of this reality. This is an exclusive reward. Maybe I should say it this way. This is no universal salvation. There is no universal salvation within this text whereby all men are saved. In other words, heaven and the blessings that come with the glories of heaven are only and exclusively only for those who have washed their robes. Say, what does that mean? Well, again, it's a metaphor. It's words that are being used to describe a picture, a metaphor uh, of, of saying really those who believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. This is a picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness from God on behalf of Christ uh, given to you by faith. This is having been forgiven. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, I'll show you a picture of this. Go back to Revelation chapter 7. I know we've forgotten this because we were there probably 10 months ago. Revelation chapter 7. John is questioning the angel. The protected 144,000 of Israel have been preaching the gospel during the tribulation. And John is questioning the angel about what he's seeing. And so beginning in verse 9, he says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Palm branches are in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they they fall on their faces before the throne and they worship God. And they're saying in their worship, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And One of the elders answers saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and from where have they come? And I said, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes 
and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. In the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God. So right there we have a picture of tribulation saints being cleansed through the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How? By the death, by His death on the cross. Now go back to Revelation chapter 22. Because verse 14 is simply saying the people whose robes are washed are all those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are those who have been placed into Christ through faith. He has paid the penalty for their sins. Blessed are, are those who have washed their robes, who have, who have been forgiven by Christ, who have been forgiven of their sins by being united with Christ through faith. They, like the tribulation saints who will follow, have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Their divine reward is heaven itself. Heaven itself. Access to God. Access to the new Jerusalem, the city. Access to the eternal provision of God, the tree of life. And all of it is described by one word. Blessed. Blessed. Nothing could be happier. Nothing could be happier. And it only shines brighter standing on the backdrop of the negative side, the contrast to that reward. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. It's unfortunate in our English translation, the word outside doesn't really give it justice. Because outside kind of conjures up in our minds, well, there seems to be this place outside the new Jerusalem, outside the city in which there are those who, who are sinners and they, they abide outside the gates of the Jerusalem. But that's not what the word really means in the original language. The word carries more the idea of being without. Being without. Being without the presence of God. Being without the presence of Christ. Being without any part of the heavenly glories. Where is that place? The lake of fire. The eternal lake of fire. That's the outside place. Hell itself. And who will be there? All the dogs and sorcerers, immoral persons, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. In other words, this is the place for Christ rejectors. This is the place for religious imposters. And they are described here in this, in this short list in terms of their character, in terms of their, the outworking of their heart. In terms of their life being described by the outworkings of what their heart really is. Notice dogs. That's the first thing. Outside or without. Being without are the dogs. In the ancient days, dogs were, were not like we have. They weren't domesticated animals in the sense that we have. They would never be allowed inside the home. By their very nature, they belonged outside. And that, in fact, was where they were to stay outside. 
fact, if you've ever been to a third world country, many of times you'll notice that the dogs really just roam around. They're not home animals. They're not animals that sit on your couch with you and act like humans. In fact, in some commentaries, some even believe this is the lowest form of any sinful profession that's mentioned here by the term dogs. Any sinful profession in the ancient times, the lowest form was those who were uh, homosexual prostitutes. Some commentators believe that's what he's saying here. Those who, who continue in that kind of reality, they're without the glories of heaven. And he says, secondly, sorcerers, sorcerers, that's the occult, that's the magical arts. The word is pharmakia, really, in the original language. It's where we get our word pharmacy. It really deals with drugs. Those who dabble in potions, those who dabble in spells, drug-induced religions, any kind of sorcery on that kind of level. And he just walks down the list. Immoral persons, those who, who are involved in any kind of immorality of sexual sin as a lifestyle. Sexual license, sexual immorality, no, no uh, fence around your life in any kind of way in that way. Shows your heart. Murderers. Murderers, those who have shared the moral responsibility of taking life sinfully. Idolaters. Those who refuse to give the... God to worship that his due him to give it to anything else but God displacing God for other things that's idolatry and then he ends the list with practicing liars those who love and practice lies those who who love falsehood those who perpetuate falsehood even in the smallest kind of ways these are the continual life character of those who are rewarded with hell look at this list we Read through this list, we think of our own life and our heart begins to pound. Every one of us kind of squirms in our seat. We say, man, can anybody get saved? Can anybody get saved? Well, I want to remind us of what Paul said to the Corinthian church. People just like this. People like us. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, beginning in verse 9. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not have understanding? Do you not, do you not really understand this, that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom, or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who, who are not righteous before God, who are not declared righteous in the presence of God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know that? It's, it's common reality. It, it, it's, it's as clear as, as we are standing here. He says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, that is those who are or of, of one uh, 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 orientation who are trying or do uh, become the other or like the other nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The list is just lengthy and it goes on. The character of those kinds of lives carried out and the question still is in our minds, okay, this isn't helpful, Pastor. I still am there. You said you were going to be helpful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, such 
were some of you. I love that word. Such were some of you. You were washed. You were made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You see, you read verse 15 of chapter 22 and you go, man, I, 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 I have dabbled in all of those. I've hated people. I haven't worshipped God. In fact, I've denied God and worshipped myself more than anything and anyone. I've been a fornicator, an idolater, an adulterer, an effeminate, whatever you want to call it, a thief, a covetous, a drunkard, swindler. Paul says, such were some of you. What beautiful words for us to hear. You can be washed clean. You can be washed clean. That's the grace of the words of Jesus Christ in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. That's grace. Such can be you if you're there. And such were some of you if you know me by faith already. You see, the reward, the reward of heaven is exclusive. It is exclusive to those who are washed. And the beauty is it doesn't matter how bad you've been. God can and will wash you if you'll believe in His Son. He will save you. He will sanctify you. He'll he'll make you holy. He will justify you in the name of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And He will give you His Spirit that you might now live for Him. That's the beauty of verse 17. Notice what he says in verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Who's the spirit? Spirit of God. Who's the bride? The church. We're both saying, come. And let the one who who hears, the one who's continually hearing with understanding, say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This this is the invitation. This is the beauty of of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of God himself. We've gone from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 22. and, And we've read the glories of Christ and highlighted Christ in all of his beauty and the judgment that is to come on those who reject. And even at the end, Christ is saying, but but come The Spirit desires Christ to come. Why? Because the Spirit doesn't want Christ blasphemed anymore. The Spirit wants Christ glorified in all things. So the Spirit desires that Christ come. You and I as a church pray, Christ come. Why? Because we want to see our glorious Lord again. We want to be with Him in the glories of heaven. The one who hears the Word says, Come. And all who recognize their need, can come. Let the one who is thirsty come. You see, in order to come to Jesus Christ, you have to realize you have a need for Christ. To not realize you have a need is to reject God's word concerning you. 
And so the word of God this morning is asking you, are you thirsty for the living water of Jesus Christ? Do you know you have a need for Him? Do you realize that without Him, that without Christ, you deserve nothing but the fires of hell itself? But He says, come to Me. Come to Me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll satisfy So this morning, I I echo these words. Come to the one who is the water of life. And he will give you life. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, what a joy of our heart to know these truths. You, by your sovereign grace, have decided and orchestrated such circumstances for each one of us that we are here this very day. And that we hear these words. Lord, there are those in this group who belong to Christian homes, homes where mom and dad know you by faith, and yet they have been coming as maybe kids here for years and thinking that just hearing the words or mouthing the words or hoping that because their parents go to church, they are right before you. Lord, we pray. That they don't rest on that belief. We pray that these things would might would be disturbing in their heart. That they would do a, a self-inventory according to your word to see whether they truly know you or not. There are others who may be here who have wondered, is this really true? Can this really help me? Can it really change me? Lord, we pray that they would see their need before you. Not for you to fix their life in some kind of general way here on this earth, but you you would be the Savior of their life and that their eternity would be secure with you and that because of their eternity with you and that being secure, that as they have that hope fixed on you, they would then live here and now to your glory. Lord, we pray they turn their back on their previous sinful life, repent of their sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith alone. For those here who do know Jesus Christ by faith, we pray, Lord, that these things would be a motivation to us to not hide them, to not sit in fear. We have nothing to fear before you. We are enveloped in the righteousness of your sweet and dear Son, our Savior. So the reward for us will be the glories of heaven. And so we say, along with all who know Christ, come, come. Lord, may this be the the very echo of our heart, the challenge for us each and every moment of every day that we might share the gospel with others for your glory.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.